Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, just when we thought the summer couldn't get any better, it didn't. Oh, why did we invite those pesky Australians over to ruin our World Cup winners' party? Well, nonetheless, a happy welcome to Broad and Fry as we sit perilously positioned between the Edgbaston Rock and the Lord's Hard Place. Stuart Broad? Our Stuart, the one and only great Stuart Broad, was England's leading wicket-taker once again in that first test. Um, you've trained at Lords today and you've joined me now. The big question is, Stuart, everybody's wanting to know this, um, who's going to drive you to Lords now that Jimmy's unavailable? Well, the, the good news is that Jimmy's actually down with us at Lords. Oh, he is? Oh, which excellent. is, uh, he's doing his rehab and continued sort of training work with all the medical staff, with the team. So he's, uh, we'll be sharing lifts uh, throughout this test match, which is good for the superstitious side of uh, our personalities. Um, but actually, it was funny you mentioned about us having lifts because Jimmy was on uh, driving duties uh, day one at Edgebaston. Um, so he'd driven to training and then we walked down to his car day one and someone had reversed into it, smashed it to bits. What? And he just had a little note on his windscreen saying, sorry, uh, my car was bigger than I thought, and a number. And it was, uh, I mean, I, he, he's naturally can be grumpy at times anyway, but that didn't start his day off in the in the greatest of ways. And then obviously it got a little bit worse after four overs, didn't it, with his car hurting? But yeah, I think um, he's staring at quite a few thousand pounds worth of damage because it's damaged all the camera system and the sensors and all that. So... Uh, I'm. I will officially be on driving duties as he has no car at the minute. Oh, how sad! And is it one of those cars that has uh, Jimmy Anderson Lancashire Cricket Club or anything <laughs> like that? Oh, that would have been great, wouldn't it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's. Uh, it's more got midlife crisis uh, on it as a 37 year old man with a matte grey gunmetal grey Audi S7 or whatever. You know. One of these um, super quick things, but uh, yeah, no, he was he was slightly disappointed with that. But I am officially going to be on full driving duties. As I say, he's uh, he's carless. Excellent. Well, I know um, there have been occasions. Uh, for example, uh, the Old Trafford match in the two thousand and five, when the players couldn't get to the ground because the crowd has been so enormous outside. I think Michael Vaughan and others couldn't actually get into the ground. Because if you remember, it overflowed. Have you ever had that situation where, because, it, 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 you know, some people might assume that you international superstars of sport would actually have drivers who took you in and dropped you at the gates and <laughs> security people to take you through and push their palms into the face of people trying to get selfies. But you're just real down to earth guys, aren't you? We are. We are. Yeah. Actually, at the um, the. Law's test match against Ireland, Jimmy wasn't playing, but we were sharing our, our lift in as we always do. And we we just kept popping into a local coffee shop on the way in. So we would, we'd end up, we were in full England tracksuits, taking it in turns, queuing to get a coffee in the morning on our way to Lords. So it's, it's quite nice, actually, you get a bit of a chat from a, a few people coming to the cricket. What You know, that question that no professional cricketer has ever been able to answer, but you get it every day. Are you going to win today? Well, I, I don't know. I was like, if, if anyone knows that, please tell me, because it'd be nice to know. Take the nerves away. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we've got a nice... We, we're staying in St. John's Wood, and our, our drive-in is we go past a little coffee shop, and, and that's us every morning. 
So that, that's your routine. And, and what about between the matches? We'll obviously come to the cricket in a moment, but just to keep everybody uh, apprised of, uh, of how your life kind of goes on these occasions, because it's sort of beyond our imagination, really. I would just be pacing up and down, biting my nails off, I assume. But you've actually had some fun uh, in between the two, I believe, or at least... Yeah, I mean, we... Um... These little breaks are actually crucial in big international summers. And I think we needed this as a, as a team. I know it's only one test match into a very intense series, but the World Cup guys have, haven't had a break. So actually for the likes of Joe Root, Jason Roy, Butler, just to be able to have three or four, three or four days away, I see as a great advantage for us coming into this week. It means that we hit training today hard with a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. Um, and, and actually, it took me by surprise when, I think it was Wednesday after the Test match, Australia were playing against Worcester. And we finished, what, Monday afternoon. I thought, Wednesday? How are they playing cricket already? I mean, it, it, um, that took me by surprise. So I, I actually saw that as a bit of an advantage for us. It actually... You know, we're all at a stage, we're in August now. We don't need more bowling, more batting. It's not a, 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 an amount of cricket thing that will get us into a winning position here at Lords. It's a freshness of mind. It's a honing of, of skill and making sure that our game plans are 100% right. So I, I think this little break came at a brilliant time for us as a team. Yeah. Um, I actually had a charity golf day that I'd been arranging at the Belfry um, hotel in Birmingham on Thursday for motor neuron disease, which I, I lost my stepmother to uh, in 2010. So uh, Ben Stokes actually came to stay at mine um, for a couple of days, save him driving back up north because he was playing in the in the golf day. And uh, yeah, we just we relaxed. We watched a little bit of um, Amazon Prime, you know that uh, NFL series, All or Nothing. Oh yes. So we've become you know, Carolina Panthers fans just from watching that and. Uh, we just chilled. We just you know, went out for a, for a nice meal um, and played a bit of golf and, and relaxed. So I think it's important to get away. But then when you come back to training, you're right on the money. And don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. You put anything on social media, you still get the, why are you not in the nets? Get in the nets, all that sort of thing. It's, it's the regulation reply. But actually, I'm a, I'm a big believer that um, you know, sometimes you've got to step away from the game to to really make huge improvements not that we need to make huge improvements we we played well at, at Edgebaston for for long periods of time but we're fresh we're fit we're firing um and we'll be ready for for Wednesday for sure and just uh, to to pinch the loaf of that conversation as it were what what, what do you play off in golf what's your handicap uh, I play off 10 10 that's not bad it's not bad is it I've I've got major issues with my chipping uh, Joss Butler, Joss Butler, and I often take those little air golf balls on tour and just in our rooms, just chip them around. Just, I think we've got we've done that much practice. We're getting worse, <laughs> <laughs> if that makes any sense. But for those who haven't uh, uh, made the important step of following me on Twitter, you have pinned to your Twitter feed a fabulous uh, piece of film of Jimmy Anderson uh, trying to get out of the woods. Oh gosh, yeah, that was. Uh, that was, I think last, it was last year, Jimmy um, was in between a gap in a tree. Yeah. And he said, oh, film this for me because I'm going to play like a low draw through these, this tree and it will look wicked. So I stood behind him and he whacks this ball amazingly. 
And But we, n- neither of us had spotted this tree root in front of him, about a yard away. And it just belted into this tree root straight up into his jaw. And it was just complete shock. Like, <gasps> couldn't speak. Like, oh, like I was expecting to turn around, have no teeth or a, a nose splattered everywhere. But fortunately, the, our team doctor said it hit him in the one place in the face that wouldn't have broken a, a hairline fracture of a bit of bone. So um, we could laugh about it, but it, it certainly shocked us. <laughs> so you, you played the, the, the golf anyway, and then you got back to to training. And uh, how was how was morale in the camp? Can you give us a sense of how people felt after that loss? Because it was a, a crushing loss. But as you say, we did have our moments in the five days where we played exceptionally well. Yeah, the, the most asked question I've had all week is how are you going to bowl at Steve Smith? Mm, of course. Which is a fair is, is a fair question. Um, I think on paper, the loss looks quite heavy. Um, 250 odd runs. Um, in reality, I think we played really well for three days, but three days is not long enough in test cricket. And uh, I think Australia adapted to the conditions better than we did. I think the pitch slowed up and it had very little lateral movement for the seam bowlers and began to sort of turn more and more during the game. And that's an unusual Edgebaston pitch for us. We haven't played on many pitches like that in, in recent time, whether the World Cup and the tiredness of the square had, had something to do and with that. This, uh, this season's Duke ball, people, have you found that it just doesn't quite have the movement that last season's uh, it, it It's not... It, well... At Edgebaston, it certainly didn't. It's been going out of shape a lot quicker than last year. Um, but Duke swear that it's sort of made exactly the same. Um, so there might be just the balls we used at Birmingham that let us down slightly. But um, we'll wait and see. But I think Australia adapted to those last two days better. They um, they bowled, bowled better on it. Certainly, I, thought, I don't think we bowled especially well on, on day four. And we were disappointed not to be able to bat through day five. I know that was always going to be a big test against Nathan Lyon, who's a, who's a world-class off-spin bowler, ended up getting six wickets. But, uh, it, you know, if we'd have had a quiet first hour and a half, we'd have we'd have really given ourselves a chance there. Um, but it, it wasn't to be. Um, but there's certain things we need to look at for, for this week. Again, can we be quicker at adapting to the conditions? I think going down to 10 men sounds a big thing in football, doesn't it? Oh, they're down to 10 men. Well, it's the first time I can think of that we've gone down to 10 men in a test match so early, um, which obviously Jimmy couldn't do anything about. He passed all the fitness tests. He did all the work he could have done to be in the best possible condition for Edgebaston. It was just one of those things that happens. And um, I think day four, we probably felt the effects of of that being that bowler down. Um but that's not an excuse. We, we, I personally think I could have done more at day one, 120 for eight. We should be bowling Australia out for 140, 150, and that's we can win the game there and then, or certainly put ourselves in a great chance of winning the game there and then. So that's what I'm looking at. That's frustrating. Um, did I, throughout the test, bowl as many balls as I wanted to in the exact spot I wanted to? Day four, particularly not. So that's something to improve on personally. And if we all look as a as a team of little individual areas we can improve on, then 
our overall performance will definitely improve at Lords, and and we'll put Australia under pressure as a bowling unit. We we need we want more lateral movement. Um, we couldn't really we didn't get much shine off the ball at Edgebaston, but neither team swung it. I can't remember a spell where it, any bowler was swinging it round. Um, but that might be different at Lords. You know, if you get clouds at Lords, it can swing. Um, so I don't, I don't. I think we need to put to bed Edgebaston now. We've, now we've trained here at Lords. You know, that's in the past. The the conditions might be different if it bounces more here. We'll bowl differently at Steve Smith than on a slow low thing at Edgebaston. So I don't think we want to. We don't want Steve Smith walking to the crease on Wednesday or Thursday, whenever. And us feeling like he's on 100 or 100. Oh, he's, yeah, he got 100 last week, so he's in great form. Everyone starts fresh. Everyone starts on naught. Um, and our job is to put him under huge pressure in his first 20 balls because he's a world-class player. He averages over 60 in test cricket. He averages 100 in test cricket in the first innings. He's allowed to score runs. You know, I thought that when he got 50, everyone was clapping. I thought, he's not even at his average yet. You know, what are we clapping for? That's like someone clapping me when I get to 20. You know what I mean? Or 15. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, he's a world-class player. You're allowed to play against people like that. It's fun playing against people like that. But it means it, he's a vital wicket. So you'll expect to see some good celebrations if we get him for under 60 in this game. Yes. And I suppose the, the frustration for us uh, fans uh, was not watching, as you say, what, what, what one of the great batsmen playing a magnificent innings, which is always a privilege, even if it's at the expense of the team you support. But it's the knowledge that it allowed some of the uh, middle-order Australians to, to play themselves into form, if you like, Wade and Head, for example. Uh, and, and you felt that they wouldn't have had that opportunity if he weren't there to have allowed them to. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but that's, that's the rhythm of cricket. So I look back to 2011 when we got to number one. We had Cook, Strauss, Trot, KP... These guys all average 45 plus at the top, which then allowed Matt Pryor at seven to average 45. Graham Swan, myself, to come in with handy runs because the bowlers are 20, 30 overs deep. They're tired and it allows other people to score. Um, that's why early wickets are so crucial um, because you can expose number six, seven, whatever, to a newer ball, fresher bowlers, and they're less likely to get to, to go and score runs. Um, so uh, that's what I mean it's it, it's always annoying when opposition teams score runs later on but it just proves the how vital it is to make inroads early and, and you know Lords can be a tricky place to start as a batsman the the visuals of the, the pavilion can be quite dark the slope's quite tough to get used to we've got to strike early it's very good. It's interesting hearing you because you, you always answer questions. Uh, and I think it's the correct, and indeed it goes back to classical stoicism. Um, you always talk about what you can do as a team, what you are doing, what your plans are, how you can uh, improve, not obsessing about what they're doing. And, and I think that's probably the fault that I have as a kind of whining fan is I think, oh, what are the Australians doing? They're going to do this or they're going to do that or it's hard to make them do this. But you're not concentrating on that. You, you, you focus on what it is that you can do. And I suppose that's something that is innate to you or is it something you've learned? It's learned. But so one thing I'm focusing on this week, Lords is a very special place for anyone to play. It's um, the home of cricket. You get treated amazingly as an international cricketer, a player here. 
Uh, you walk through that long room, your emotions go through the roof. Uh, the members all cheer you through. You walk down those famous stairs onto the pitch. You look around. Each stand is beautiful. There's a lovely roar. You hear the champagne. So I, if that first hour on Wednesday we're bowling, which I have to focus my mind on and just expect to bowl because then I can prepare myself, my job is to hone in on the, the top of off stump because Warner and Bancroft's emotions will be high. And the art of batting is controlling your emotions and making sure you leave early, your defence is strong, you don't play at a ball that you don't want to play at. That's what they'll be preparing for. But there's no doubt in that first 20 minutes, their emotions will be higher than they would be normally because you've sung the national anthem, you've walked out to a full house, and a place you've dreamt about playing at for years. Our advantage is... Not that this takes anything away from it, but we play here twice a year. I've played here for 10, 12 years. So I, I know what to expect. I know how to try and calm my emotions. So if their emotions are slightly higher for the first 20 minutes, they might play at a ball that they don't want to play at. Or they may, might play a shot that, that wasn't in their game plan. So as a bowler, can I, be, can I put them under enough pressure in that first 20 minutes to make them make a mistake because they've been taking out their emotion, they've been taken out of their mental game plan. Yes. Because as a bowler, you want the emotions. You want the crowd roaring. You want the, the extra hype because you've got to put your, your body through sort of a brutal action to fire the ball down as quick as you can. As a batsman, you don't want those emotions because you want to be able to leave the ball calmly through to the keeper. So I can feed off the crowd's noise whereas the batsman needs to be able to calm themselves through that noise. Yeah, that's that's very good. So if, and that's obviously if we, we bowl first, and then you have the dubious pleasure, sometimes a real pleasure, of, uh, you hope, spending a whole day uh, in, the, in the changing room and on the balcony if we bat first. And then it's a different thing. Do you, you just watch how they're bowling and how the, how the ball is moving and sort of make a few notes about the how you're going to plan if it comes to, to the next day and so on I always watch the first 12 overs every single ball because I want to know what length that their bowlers bowl what length the ball's moving from if there's swing if the bounce is going through well what fields they've bowled to um, so I'm always quite well, very interested in watching the opposition's new ball spells and then I'll come back for the opening bowlers second spells and watch them really accurately so if the ball's seeming from a wobble seam or if they're looking to really swing the ball if they're bowling their cross seam a bouncer um, their bounce across seam so you can learn little bits from what those bowlers are doing and, and then you speak to your own batsman so Ruti will come in oh, what did you find tricky I couldn't like I couldn't sort of score from straight so that would be if I'm looking to bowl defensively and limit the runs I'd bowl straight if Ruti's found it hard to score etc so that's like you're picking your brains but it's also it can be quite tiring watching 90 overs of, of cricket living every ball because the last thing you want to hear is a wicket or anything and that takes your emotions out so you've got to pick your times to have 20 minutes not watching or 20 minutes do, Jimmy does a lot of crosswords um, I read the program or something. Um, so you've got to pick your times to be able to get away from it, but also support the guys as much as possible and learn from from the conditions. But I, it, the toss of a, a coin in cricket is the funniest thing. So the day before a test match, 
you've got the nerves, the anxiety, you, you think a million times, what, what will I do with my first ball tomorrow? Uh, how will I set the tone? How will I react? I mean, I, I actually watched the last toss with Rory Burns and one of us was going to be under immense pressure in half an hour because one of us had to set the tone for the ashes. And he said, I faced a thousand first balls last night in bed. And he said, I even hit one of them for six. You know, that's how much you, your mind's going through. And the toss went up, Australia won it, we're having a bat. So he was like, oh, pressure's off him. Uh, you know, yes, I'm going out in the field, but whew, right, I don't have to set the tone with the bat. But immediately, bang, pressure's on me. Right, I've got to go straight into game. Obviously, you're in match though, but it's like, get these emotions up to as high as you possibly can. Um, and that is, uh, you, you must have a, a slight role, I suspect, as a kind of father figure for a character like Jofra Archer coming in for his Ashes debut. Do you, do, do you take it upon yourself to advise him or only if he asks? Or, or what, what sort of, how do you sort of establish that relationship? Uh, I mean, first of all, we're recording this Monday night. We don't know if he's definitely going to play yet. Uh, but I suppose by the time our listeners download, we might know the team. Um, but, yeah, I, I think you, you always want to share experiences. I mean, obviously, he's pl played here in white ball cricket um, against Australia in the World Cup final. Um, but there's certain things that you talk about, the slope affecting different... Um, styles of bowling you know you want to be attacking the stumps from the pavilion end because the ball runs down the slope towards the stumps uh, you look more for the outside edge from the nursery end because the ball runs away from the right-handed batsman etc um, but to be honest you pick on the the characters you get to know the characters a bit and Joff's a confident guy he, he seems to know his game um, he seems very ready he doesn't seem to get too affected by the outside noise of international cricket. Um, yes, I noticed Justin Lang is playing a few mind games and saying things to the press. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think with him having had such huge press through the summer anyway of, is he going to be in the World Cup squad? Yes, he's in the World Cup squad. Is he going to play? Ended up bowling really well. Um, England's leading wicket-taker, winning the World Cup. I think in such a short international career, he's almost seen it all. The only thing he's not had is a bad day and having criticism, <laughs> which he plays cricket, so it's going to happen at some stage. Um, but he, he, he's a guy that really backs himself. And to me, he doesn't look like someone who would get affected by that. Uh, and he's got all the, he's got some wonderful attributes. You know, his, his, his run-up's calm and smooth. I mean, I bowled with him in the nets today. And you watch and you're in awe of him a little bit in the way how his natural ability. Yeah. He, he warms up bowling left arm spin. What? Yeah, that's his warm up. So it's just, he's got a, a, a lovely natural ability he's to... The Ronnie O'Sullivan of bowling. And a, and, a, and a lovely, what's the right phrase? Zest for cricket. You know, he, he loves getting people out. He loves hitting people in the head. It's... it's uh, it, it's um, he's someone you want in your team. So if he if he gets the nod this week, I've got no doubt he'll have a, a great effect um, on international cricket over the next few years. As my grandfather used to say, from your lips to God's ears. And we will take a break uh, at that point and we'll catch up with you and your questions just after these messages.
Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for getting in touch with us, as you all have done, via the hashtag Broad and Fry on Twitter and Instagram. Let's get straight on with your questions. What have you seen, Broadie? Uh, I quite like the nicknames one. Have you seen that from Michael Greaves? What humorous nicknames do you have for individual members of the Aussie team? I, past or present? I think we might have to go past. So don't erupt a big storm in the uh, middle of an Ashes series. Well, I um, called you Broadie just now, and that seems to be the hugely imaginative general approach yeah what would you be fry well yeah fry-y. that's a bit weird I, um i remember uh, brian johnson used to call me friars which is actually Fries? doubling oh, the length of my surname which is strange <laughs> <laughs> uh, but broad is a good one do you have any other nicknames just is it uh, i mean the regular I mean, obviously alistair cook's always been known as chef yes for his whole career um, I quite like the yorkshire nickname when they signed uh, pajara from from india yeah. His first name is Chiteswar. You might say it better than me. So that no, no one in the team could say his first name, so they just called him Steve. <laughs> Steve. That's straightforward. Which is quite a Yorkshire thing to do, isn't it? Oh, Steve will do. The, I suppose one of the meanest ones, but it is quite funny, is Dean War, who was the, uh, who was the brother of Stephen Mark War, the great Australian cricketers, and he was known as uh, Korean because... the. He was the Forgotten War, the Korean War. It's a bit sad. I think also Mark, though, on one, one occasion got four ducks in a row, four zeros. So they called him Audi for a while, which was quite good. Yes, the dreaded four ducks. Yeah, the four ducks. That's brutal in Australia as well, because remember those ducks used to walk you off on the telly? I'm glad they've gone. I mean, I think I've got the most noughts for England in test history. So imagine how many would be following me. Have you? Is that your record? <laughs> Well, I think I overtook Michael Atherton, I think. Uh, I mean, me and Jimmy are battling out but I, because we've played so much, if that makes sense, that we've had a lot of innings to give it a good go. Um, there was actually Alex Hales at Knotts when uh, he signed. We actually signed the same day for the club. Um, there was an old footballer called Barry Hales who played for Fulham. I, Fulham and, so he came in the change room and just started getting called Barry and Baz and it, it stuck. I mean, even to this day, he's called Baz in the Knotts changing room. And he got hit in the jaw in 2010, I think. So he'd been at the club a couple of years, broke his jaw, had to go into surgery. And he went in uh, the day after getting hit. I uh, said, so I'm here, I've got surgery uh, under the name of Alex Hales. And the hospital, nope. No, you haven't. There's no one booked in under Alex Hales today. So 100%, yeah, you know, I'm in. Uh, I'm supposed to be having it done today because I'm at rehab tomorrow and all that. And uh, they say, oh, we've got someone booked in as Barry Hales. So the physio actually genuinely thought his name was Barry Hales. <laughs> That's very good. Well, these things can take over. And I noticed, it's weirdly, naming them after footballers, uh, you can hear Tim Payne usually goes, nice one, Gaz. Whenever Nathan Lyon uh, bowls, a, bowls a good ball. And I, I sort of had to look that up because I was rather puzzled as to why Gary and Gaz, but, and Gazza, but apparently there is a, an Australian rules footballer called Gareth Lyon. Gareth Lyon. Shall I, I might call him Gaz this week then, should I? <laughs> yes. I, I quite like as well, you, you're obviously Mike Hussey's m- m- common grand nickname, rather, is Mr Cricket. Uh, but uh, apparently the Australians call him Huss. Huss. Yeah, Huss. Working on yeah. the theory that if his name had been Huss, his nickname would have been Hussy. <laughs> Do you see yeah, what I mean? Very true. It's kind of reverse engineered a nickname. Yeah, everyone ends up with a Y, don't they? Broadie, Rooty, Stokesy, 
Jimmy. Well, that's Jimmy's name. And that's common James. to both Brit- to England and and Australia because Australia does that with their players and indeed with their their towns, Brizzy uh, and that sort of thing. Footy. I suppose. It, I mean, it, the nickname is a. Uh, it seems much stronger in cricket than in most other sports. It seems to be part of the nature of that mixture of team banter and individualism that marks cricket out so specially. And I suppose the nickname kind of cements that. It both belongs to the team and it belongs to the individual, if you know what I mean. Yeah, true. Don't want to overread it. <laughs> but there's a question here from uh, Mickey Dundee, which may well be uh, a made-up name, because you never know. Isn't that the name of the crocodile Dundee? But um, he's saying, is Steve Smith... The new Bradman, and of course the Bradman's nickname was The Don. He was Donald The Don. And Quiet Flows The Don is uh, Fingleton's great biography of him. And he was a legend. Songs were written about him. He was knighted. He was the babe, what Babe Ruth was to baseball at the same period, roughly, he was to cricket. He was, it seems hard. I grew up, nobody imagined anybody would ever approach the astonishing nature of his statistics in cricket as as we know in his last ball faced at Lords he was bowled up for a duck and so didn't make a hundred average but Steve Smith makes a hundred average in Ashes cricket and in uh, certainly this series and in his first innings as you pointed out in the first half here um, and so on the question of him being a Bradman well uh, obviously everybody's the, an individual but he certainly is the most successful batsman at the moment. I mean, he's got to have career figures that will match the Dons, but uh, he beats Tendulkar, he beats all the other sort of contenders for greatest batsmen after Bradman. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you a story that gives an impre- uh, impression. There was a, I think it was Jack Towns, who was a wicketkeeper for um, New South Wales, and and uh, his brother Bill was a better known, but he he had a st- stutter and, and he was on a train travelling from back from Adelaide and someone tapped him on the knee and said uh, oh it's, it's Jack Towns isn't it and he said y- yes it's so, so, so it is and he was that's right he was the bowler and uh, he said how did it go against South Australia and Jack Towns said oh it was it, it was a it was a good game actually a good good, good shield game he said I, I, I was put on to bowl that they had this uh, 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 my first ball to their opener it was, it was an abs- abs- absolute b- b- beauty and the middle stump was out of the ground and and it was one for none, bloody good. Second guy in, I, I, I had him. I had him second ball. He nicked one back to my brother Jack, that the wicketkeeper. Two for none, bloody good. Next fellow in was 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 guy by the name of Bradman. You probably heard of him. So I thought I'd better be a bit careful, and I, I, I thought I'd just bowl him some de- deceptively easy ones for a while, ju- just to make him think that he was in. And then I had him three for 227. Bloody good. <laughs> <laughs> That's, those were the sort of stories you would hear about Bradman. Anyway, what's what's your view on Smith? Quick, uh, you know, obviously you've spoken about him in the beginning. He's eccentric. He's uh, uh, he's not the prettiest and most elegant player we'll, we'll ever see, but uh, he's extraordinarily hard, it seems, to get out, let alone to stop making runs. Uh, I mean, he's, his stats are incredible, aren't they? He averages over 60-odd in Test cricket. Um, he There's a stat came out that his lowest average was against left-arm spin. I think, you know, if he, anything above 90 mile an hour, he was above 70, right-arm pace above 60, left-arm pace, and then left-arm spin was 35. But... When you dive into that stat, 
where he's faced left arm spin the most is Sri Lanka and India and day four, day five, when the pitches have started turning a lot and actually getting 35s quite a good effort. So it's not a, a stat that we're, we're hanging our hats on, so to speak. But uh, yeah, he's, he's obviously a fine player. He's so mentally strong. He just, he's quite quirky and he'll, um, he, he's quite expressive with his movements. Um, but he's got a, hab, uh, a routine that he sticks to and uh, he doesn't shy away from that. And he, he doesn't seem happy with 50, 60. He wants... 150, 200. If there's anything, he's got a weakness in the 140s. So if we, if we, if we don't get him early, we can, can wait for then. But I actually had a, a, a funny bit of post to Lords that I opened this morning before training. It was a happy birthday card. The birthday was crossed off and it said happy bowling. And it was a, a note inside of how to get Steve Smith out. Um, and you hear all sorts of theories. But this one was... Uh, bear in mind the history of test cricket's generally been bowl the top of off stump more often than not and you put people under pressure don't you this one was come round the wicket and try and bowl uh, in swingers at the back of his heel and hope that he clips it behind square to a fielder wow and I thought if I try and implement that I could A, go at 15 and over I think early if I get it wrong because he's so strong through there and, you know, I, I don't know where the analysts on the TV would go with that. I don't know where you'd set your field. But if you're just hoping for him to clip it to a one, to a sort of a three metre space on the leg side in the air, you're sort of limiting you, your dismissals a little well, bit. Well, if, if you remember your cricket history, of course, is one of the most famous incidents in international cricket history was the, the puzzle of how to get Bradman out. It was absolutely eating up. The, the cricket lords, Lord Hawke and those who ran the MCC in cricket in those days and the England captain was Jardine and they were off to Australia on, a, on an Ashes tour and they came up with an answer using the fast bowlers Bose, Vos and Larwood. They thought, I know what we'll do. Uh, we, we'll, we'll bowl short balls right at his body and we'll, have, we'll pack the field behind leg um, and, and th- they'll come up off, you know, we'll bowl at his heart uh, it, they called it elegantly leg theory, as you know, uh, and it caused an international incident. It caused the laws of cricket to be rewritten. It nearly it nearly ended all Ashes series. It was so unfortunate that poor Harold Larwood was forced to bowl these aggressive balls that that were knocking people, banging them in the chest with no uh, protection, as you know. And there were telegrams sent forth from the Governor General to the houses. Parliament, it was talked about in Parliament, it was all over the newspapers, it caused a hell of a stink and really bad blood between England and Australia. And as a result, the laws of cricket meant you can't have more than two men behind square on the leg side, as you know. So uh, that that particular option is out. <laughs> but uh, it shows that it's not the first time, as ever in, in all history, and cricket history is no exception, when there's a kind of rhythmical repeat uh, of something that's gone before. When, and, and I think the, the one thing, that leg theory incident, the... the, the, the the body line uh, tour, as it was known, teaches us is is not. It's a disaster to go overboard with these kind of ideas and theories, and, and, and you talk yourself into a disaster, don't you? Don't you think? Yeah, you can you can overcomplicate this game of cricket a lot sometimes, and um, the the funny thing about Steve Smith is everyone seems to have a different opinion. 
So you mentioned earlier in this podcast about um, one of my strengths is actually what do I do? What do we do as a team? So coming into the next four test matches, I don't want to get too swarmed up with what Steve Smith's doing. Obviously, he's got a different technique to a lot of people around the world. But what do I do best? I, I get bounced from length with nip if a condition suit. So actually, go and bowl my best ball. If I want a leg gully, if he's scoring particularly through there or a cover point, if he's scoring through there, happy. But don't let the field affect the way I'm bowling. Just hit a good area, use the bouncer, stick to my strength, have an aggressive intent. And if he plays well and gets 100, that's test cricket. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose one would say that the one thing he most resembles uh, uh, Bradman in is his, his perfectionism and his uh, dedication to the game. Bradman famously practised hour after hour after hour with a tennis ball and a cricket stump, apparently, um, and and just was could could tire everybody out who tried to bowl him at the, in the nets. He wanted he was greedy for runs, greedy for cricket, greedy for time at the crease. And I suppose yeah, I mean I've not I've not actually played with Steve Smith, but they're the rumours of teammates and stuff is that he lives and breathes every minute of batting. You know, he, he got even I think even day five of the last test he was hitting balls when he couldn't you know, his batting was gone. It was what he got 140, 140 and they were fielding all day and he was hitting balls. But that I, I don't want I don't want people listening to feel like that's the only way to go about things because that's what suits him and that makes him feel very comfortable hitting ball after ball day after day. But there's other players like a Joss Butler who will hit enough balls to make him feel really good. And Andrew Strauss used to count his balls to 20, I think in the morning of a game, one, two, three, and he'd hit 20 and that would be it. So there's lots of different ways to, to do it. Um, don't think that just hitting more and more balls is a good way of going about it because it can exhaust the wrong mind. Um, so someone like Joss isn't someone who hits thousands and thousands of balls, but he hits good quality balls well for the said. right period it's of time. really important, that point. It, cricket would be a dull game indeed and all sport would be dull if there was one way only of succeeding that's good well now what other questions have we got well we've got jack tanners said why on earth doesn't cricket have injury substitutes which actually it's a good point i mean you were probably hoping that liverpool didn't have goalkeeper substitutes weren't you <laughs> that might have given you a good chance wouldn't it if they weren't allowed a goalkeeper i'm proud of our splendid young team despite that uh, like as you said about the test match we you know three-fifths of the test match we we kind of owned it in many ways but and and norwich owned uh, uh, the second half <laughs> of a 4-1 drubbing but anyway yes good point i suppose is it something to do with, um, it sounds a bit sad, this, but I mean, trust in a way, because uh, you don't, if, if you could just say, oh, uh, I'm afraid uh, this bowler's injured, we're going to have to bring on another one. People go, oh, yeah, really? Well, wasn't that there? Wasn't there an odd incident in rugby union a few years ago with Harlequins, like a blood replacement thing? Do you remember? That's right. That was a big scandal. Wasn't it? There was blood capsules being burst to be able to swap. Tom Williams was the winger, wasn't he, who ran off and there was a big storm with Dean Richards as coach. And So I suppose that does link to your trust issue, doesn't it? I know that county cricket have concussion substitutes, so if a batsman gets hit in the head, they can get replaced by a specialist in their field. So if it's a spinner, they can get replaced by a spinner. Um, but 
I don't know, part of, throughout my career, part of saying you're ready to go in a test match is that trust of, can I get through five days? So never do you go into a test match feeling 75% because you've got to go to your teammates, yet yeah, I believe I can play five days. Whereas if you have substitutes, you could try and give it a go feeling a bit dodgy and then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And to reiterate, although he only bowled four overs, uh, Jimmy, uh, on the first day. Oh, he was fit. He was fit to go. He'd done all the tests. He'd done all the fitness tests, all the running, all the bowling. The only thing he hadn't had in that month leading in was a day in the field, so to speak. But that wouldn't have... If, if his calf would have pulled up after 90 overs, that would have been relevant, but not after four. Could the extra anxiety, extra energy, extra nerves of a first day ashes had something to do with his muscles tensing? I don't know, because I'm not a cramper, but I've only ever cramped on the first day of ashes series in my career. So that shows that something to do with an anxiety or a, a nerve of, of, of big days. But now he, he and the team know he was 100% ready to go. And it's just one of those unfortunate things. But it's a great question. I don't know if I have a, an exact answer because I've played my whole career without substitutions. And you just deal with what goes on. Um, but... I suppose the answer is, would it enhance the game for the fans? Because at the end of the day, we're in an entertainment sport. Would being able to swap an injured bowler for a fresh bowler be better for the fans to watch? Potentially. Would, if someone a batsman broke a finger, would bringing a, a new batsman in be more exciting? Potentially. But it's hard It's hard to know, isn't it? It is tricky. I mean, And how do you choose the, the batsman that replaces... The one with the broken finger, you know, without yeah. upsetting the the bowling side, who might say, "But that's not an equivalent. That's not like for like." You know, it's yeah. a very very difficult one. It's in the same way as choosing a new ball. Well, I've got to ask you about this: the um, <laughs> fitting the, the 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 ball into that steel ring that the umpires uh, carry. Uh, th there was quite a how do you do in that last test, wasn't there? Because it did seem that, that Australia got the better of a, of a ball change. It's it's the, one of the weirdest... It is a frustration in cricket when these balls go out of shape because the reason it's gone out of shape is probably because it's gone soft and it might have been made badly. So it means that you're not going to extract any movement out of it, out of the pitch, if the ball's gone soft. Well, you say that. Then, uh, can I just, just quickly to interrupt? To a, to a layman like me, you might think that a, a not properly spherical ball would move odd, more oddly and less predictably than a completely round one. Yeah, I, I think it must sort of, I don't know, must soften into the pitch or something. It just doesn't seem to, to respond off the pitch. Uh, but you saw Australia managed to get their ball changed, didn't they? And they got a couple of wickets straight after, a little bit of movement. And that, that happens every single time. You know, if that ball gets changed, something happens with the new ball. So every time you're out there in a test match, the batsmen don't want it changing and the bowlers obviously do. Um, they've got the, the umpires carry these metal rings that if the ball goes through, uh, it's deemed fine. But to me, um, I, it's a visual thing. If the ball's out of shape, if you feel like there's a flat spot or... Uh, it, or it's you can visually see it's not round. Then to me, the ball's out of shape. Doesn't matter if it goes through a ring or not. It's out of shape. Um, 
So, yeah, there's work to be done on, on that because also balls change from around the world. There's a kookaburra, there's an SG used in India, there's different dukes in England. You know, the county cricket balls are smaller seam than the, the test match ball. Um, and different batches just seem to behave slightly differently. I mean, we had a ball changed in the Ireland test match after seven balls. You know, it's it's because it, it, they're handmade, you just don't know how they're going to react. But uh, I just eat every single player on that field will hope we have a better batch of Duke's balls at Lords than we did at Edgebaston because it was a frustration for all of us. Yeah, I mean, you were getting, you seemed to be bowling cutters quite well, mm. really well, in fact, I thought. I mean, fantastic. Yeah, that was purely, because the, the pitch had a natural dryness to it. It was quite dry even on day one. So the seam up ball didn't seem to grip with any moisture. But as soon as you wobbled the seam, if it caught a bit of leather or caught the corner of the seam on, and the leather, it seemed to jag off the dryness of the pitch. So both Wokesy and I in the first session noticed that it was jagging with these big wobbles and every time we bowled seam up, it, it didn't seem to move. Um, I think I, out of the wickets I took in that test, only one of second innings was a seam up delivery. Um, and you saw Cummings getting four wickets, I mean, a couple with bouncers at the end, but they were wobble seam as well. So that might be different at Lords. You get a bit of moisture, a great, gorgeous outfield. You might want to swing the ball with the seam up, but... Uh, that was just adapting to the conditions we had in front of us, really. Brilliant. And I'll end with a very quick question, but it's the most important one. Uh, this is uh, congratulating you on your nice little knock in the first test. Uh, the, how and when did the bat twirling start? Uh, and do you know you're doing it? Hmm? That's from a Nottingham-born Notts Forest and England cricket supporter called Joanna Kendall. So she's obviously on your side. Did you know you twirled the bat? Nottingham Forest, Notts County. Um... um Yes, and we will revisit that question at the end of the Ashes series. All right, interesting. I will leave you with that intrigue because it's something that I am, I am very aware I'm doing, but I will not give you the reasons why. Ladies and gentlemen, we can speculate. Until next time, until our next merry meetings, when Stuart, I hope, will have better news to share and we'll all be rejoicing in another Lord's victory. But who knows, because cricket is so wondrously unpredictable. I know I'll be wearing out at least three bladders between now and our next, next meeting. Goodbye, Stuart. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.